DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of the contacts and the glasses. Save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So this will shock you. But PK and I have spent a little time here since the Jazz lost to uh, Minnesota debating and arguing about what the heck went wrong, and we only agree about half of it. So why don't you jump in, because we are really curious which side you're going to come down on. How the heck do you lose to Minnesota? We know there are the 20 turnovers, and Quinn Snyder pointed out, I think it was 20 points off 11 offensive boards, and they scored 40 points in the first quarter and then didn't even get 60 the rest of the way. What went wrong? What happened? How does well, this happen? How does Team 29 beat Team 1? You know what? It, it is a game that uh, involves people. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. I, you start thinking about how upsets happen at home, especially. And, <clears throat> you know, it starts, well, you know, the first thing you could say, well, we, we can think of a lot of excuses. You know, obviously our leading scorer is not playing. But that being said, this is a team that's, uh, you know, hasn't, I don't know, I think what have they won, 16, 17 games on a year. And uh, so we, we throw that out the window. Uh, but I think sometimes, despite the chemistry of this team, the experience of this team, uh, and nobody wants to admit it, but the, it, it's hard sometimes to get up for certain teams. Now, you wouldn't think it would be Minnesota after they had already beaten them once. And uh, But mentally and emotionally sometimes, uh, players do. But I think most of all, you mentioned it, being careless with the ball. But I think that being careless with the ball is more than just what, what it turned out to be in terms of points. It, what happens, especially teams on the road that haven't won much, uh, their confidence. They get confidence. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm getting to the rim. You know, you know Edwards is getting to the rim, rather than, even though he's a pretty doggone good three-point shooter. But anytime you can get to the rim, score, it increases your confidence. And especially in games where there were Jazz were up big, they lost it. You know, all of a sudden late, this is not a team that you know that normally they would lose that game probably nine times out of ten. But what's happened now? They're playing with confidence, and the confidence has come from Utah's mistakes, carelessness with the ball. You know, not, not you know a variety of things and errors that took place. But the other thing is this: this is the NBA, and Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell. Those guys are all capable of going for 25, 30, or 40. It's not like, you know, I think sometimes we look at the record and go, these guys just must be horrible. Well, they haven't had a really good year, correct. But it does not mean they don't have guys that can fill it up on any given night. And when a team kind of just hands it to them with easy points off turnovers, transition baskets, it just instills the confidence and they start believing they can win. So, it's a, you know, it's a collection of different things, but certainly – uh, Any time a, uh, a team that really comes into a game, those kind of teams you put away early, they usually quit. And you just kind of coast through and win it. But, uh, you know, the Jazz decided to be in a giving mood. And once they did that, Minnesota got the confidence back. They have talent. There's no, you know, the, the idea that these guys aren't capable of beating people, you know, they can, especially when they're at a high confidence level. They're on the road. The crowds aren't that big anyway. It's, it's kind of like playing a neutral site game. I mean, the fans are as loud as they can be, but it's not like there's 20,000 people in there either. 
kind of turn the tide and help that. So those are my thoughts. It happens at every level, high school, college, the NBA, and it usually has to do with mistakes teams make more so than another team just coming in and just playing amazing and, and finding a way to win that way. So coaches tend to worry about everything. The Jazz roll out to a 17-point lead in the first quarter. Did you ever get concerned that, hey, this may come may have come too easy for us, so we got to make sure we crack down? I don't, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you, you want to get in. When you're up 17 that early, you're, every timeout is about defending, taking care of the ball, even before the turnovers come. Because mentally and emotionally, you get – you get in a place where you get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, they are pros. I mean, the, the Jazz have obviously demonstrated that they're a great basketball team, but uh, they're not immune to overlooking people either. They're not immune to my view. I mean, especially when you're playing three and four games a week, it's easy to lose your concentration. And once you do that, and then all of a sudden uh, a team that hasn't won 20 games this year starts believing they can beat anybody. And, 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 and they can. They can if you don't do that. So I think as a coach – you really try to protect against that because everybody kind of gets happy. You get up big, everybody's enjoying it. We're still sharing the ball and doing things, but, but all of a sudden we get careless with the ball and uh, thinking that they're, they're not going to come and compete and, and try to make a game out of this thing. So even to the best of the, of the players, even at the highest level in the world, uh, emotionally and mentally, they, you lose that sharp laser focus. You, you can uh, turn things around real quickly, and that's kind of what happens. So when you get to the playoffs, sometimes you have to turn things around real quickly, and the teams that can do it have a big advantage. But how many parallels should we be drawing between a game in April and what's going to happen in May, June, and July? Well, I, I, I wouldn't personally. I mean, yes, this is a, it is a bad loss. That's just what it is, and you move on. I mean, this, this is not the playoffs, and uh, I, I can't see the Jazz in a, in a situation where they're carelessly just – turn the ball over. Sometimes great defensive teams do that. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a great defender for a rookie. I mean, he's, he's a really, really, really good player. And uh, But that being said, this is a veteran team. You've got a team that's together. They've been together a long time, got a great coaching staff. Everybody's on the same page. I can't imagine. I, listen, the Jazz can get beat in the playoffs, but I would be really, really surprised if it's a sloppy game like this. I mean, the focus will be – Right there, intent that they'll be prepared, and uh, and they've got to play well. Don't don't get me wrong; they're not just going to show up and and uh, and get through the playoffs. The playoffs are going to be difficult. So, I, in fact, I was looking at who they could potentially play, and you know, down. I mean, we were talking about. I don't know what's going to happen in these playing games, but you just today, like Portland, Memphis, San Antonio, Golden State. Those are all really, really well coached teams. You know, teams that. Are, Memphis is hot. Golden State's playing well. San Antonio and Portland have kind of been on the downside. But those are all dangerous teams to play if they end up playing one of those four teams. So they, they certainly can't look past them. Anytime you've got guys like Portland has with guards that can shoot it from the perimeter and just create plays, obviously Steph is scary on any given night. And Memphis is really playing well. So it doesn't matter who you play in the playoffs. You better be ready because uh, that's how upsets happen. And, it's, it's again, it's confidence. You, you let an eighth or a ninth or a tenth seed come in there and win an opener, and wow, you see a team now that's going to be playing at a high level. You just can't afford to do that. I mean, seven-game series, I, I don't really, really think the Jazz are going to have a problem in the first round, but 
if anything, this Minnesota game is a great teaching point for the coaching staff. Hey, we can be beat by anybody if we're not ready. So, and so you use it at that, make a positive out of it and just say, listen, we can't do that. It's passed and gone. You're not going to sit around and worry about it much more. But when you get in the playoffs, that kind of slippage, uh, you know, can send you home quickly. And I don't see that happening with Jazz, but uh, hopefully this is a reminder that if we turn it over like that and allow teams to score at the rim, they, their confidence, they have great players, and anything can happen in this game. And, man, every night there's something crazy going on in the NBA. And a lot of it has to do with playing three and four games a week, lots of travel, all back-to-backs. All of those things lend themselves to upsets. So watching that game, I had a little bit of an issue with some shot selection, which is going to happen from time to time with so many shots and possessions and so forth. I'm wondering, you as a coach, how you balance giving players the free reign and confidence to do what they think they can do versus making sure that you have responsibility and you're taking quality shots. Well, the one thing about the Jazz is that their ball movement is second to none in the NBA. I mean, nobody moves the ball. There's not a lot of stationary isolation type things where you take forced contested shots. For the most part, they're taking shots after one, two, three, four, five passes, which lends itself to being consistent, shooting with confidence, and having open shots. Uh, I think the, the thing that you, as a coach, that you want to make sure, and you watch film with them, that when we're taking contested shots early in the shot clock, that needs to be corrected. There's no reason for that. I mean, yes, you're going to have to. Sometimes people D up, guard you, and you're going to have to make or take contested shots late in the shot clock. That's one of the things that I look at is I see people taking early contested shots, and, you know, you can't settle. And you find teams that just settle for the jumper or the three early in the shot clock, typically it's going to be a difficult night for them. And maybe the Golden State Warriors when they had Durant and, you know, and uh, – all, all that group where you have three great shooters uh, with Steph and all, you know, sometimes you can get away with that. But for the most part, I don't think the Jazz are a team. That's just not who they are. That's not the culture of this team. It's great ball movement, take good shots. And when it does happen, you know, you watch film. You talk about it. And, uh, and anybody can have an off night. But, but at the end of the day, you're not going to have, you know, in a seven-game series in the playoffs – uh, those kinds of things can be corrected in a timeout oftentimes or at halftime, and you try to get that back. But there there are nights, I mean, I remember just even playing, you know, where I felt great going into a game. And and I think the one thing early on, I always tried to get to the free throw line or get my guys to the free throw line on penetrations so that you could just relax and see the ball go through the basket, especially for, for guys that were kind of up and down shooters. I wanted to get them to the free throw line. I wanted them to get a layup. I wanted to run an ISO for them rather than to have their first two or three shots be three-pointers. Uh, obviously, these are pros. These guys can all shoot it. But there is something about making early baskets in games where that basket gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But, the, you know, the, the biggest no-no there is taking contested shots early on. And, and what happens late in a game when you do that and you get caught, and, uh, and then all of a sudden defensively it, the opponent ratchets it up and they're contesting – They've got the confidence, and then all of a sudden they have the advantage. So early on in games, I mean, they got, they got up 17, and I think it was just a matter of just, I don't want to say overlooking, but just got casual with the ball. 
got really casual with the ball, just figured this is going to happen. And they forgot that there was another team that was going to defend and wants to win just as badly as they do. They haven't proven they can do it for a lot of reasons. But when things click in the NBA, uh, every team's got really good players. And you get them going, all of a sudden when your opponent is playing on the road, I love that to go on the road as a coach. And all of a sudden uh, you're making baskets and they're struggling and they get tighter and tighter and uh, there's more pressure and that's where how upsets happen. And oftentimes it uh, happens at the end of the games. But, uh, you know, most of the time those things sometimes, in, you know, the last four or five minutes you go on a little run and then they start pressing and that happens. And, and it hasn't happened very often for the Utah Jazz this year. Kind of ironic. Uh, and so, I, I you know, I can see like, well, I don't know. Did they play? I can't remember. That loss they had to the Wizards, was that at Washington? They lost to the Wizards twice, both at home and in yeah. Washington. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and those, those teams, with those guards, they can create, and Westbrook can just do, he, he can go off and do things regardless of what, who's guarding him. But, again, when you play that way, it's just going to be once in a while where you win big games. And, and that's the thing. You know, the Wizards have won, what, eight or nine in a row. So they're, they're starting to play better. But uh, I think with Minnesota, it, it was just a matter, a combination of things. But, obviously, being careless with the ball is what really, really got them Timberwolves a lot of confidence and once they got that confidence then they were able to finish it off in a tight game which normally they probably wouldn't win that game so Joe Ingles comes on with us every week and he said uh, something interesting PK was asking him about you know his his improvement and then improving again and then improving again and he's kind of surprising people and Joe said well it's not that hard to improve now because everybody's got a personal coach. And he said he never had that in his career until he got to the NBA and got to the Jazz. And that anytime he wants to watch film, anytime he wants to get shots up or work on you know, how he runs a pick and roll or whatever, he's got a coach who will come work with him. And I was thinking of your career, you didn't really have that. The money's really exploded even since you've retired, which wasn't that long ago. And can you imagine what it'd be like if you had, say, 12 to 15 scholarship players and 12 to 15 assistant coaches? How different would things have been for you? <laughs> I, think, I think what's happening, and you see a trending in college basketball, especially at, at kind of the highest level where there is more money and there's – but it, it, managers, managers play a huge role in the game today collegiately, more so than they did in the past. And – not just to, to be uh, you know, in five-on-oh situations where they're simulating another team's offense or doing those kinds of things. But as I've gone into college uh, you know, workouts and watched practices and things over the last few years, you, you see that where there is a lot of individual work. And, and, and that right now, for young players in high school especially, even, even I mean, my grandchildren, uh, you know, they, they go to places where they can get individual workouts and, and they, and they have those places here in California. And it's, it's amazing the individual instruction and actually the money being made by, you know, just having personal training for eight, nine, 10 year old kids. And, uh, it, that did, that didn't exist, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now you'd be hard, you'd be surprised. You probably know. I mean, in, in the state of Utah alone, I know that I have a son that just recently moved back and his son goes to two or three facilities where they get personal training. And so when you do that at the highest level, when we, when we start doing that at eight, nine-year-olds, it, it, you know that it becomes important to players. And, uh, and you don't have enough coaches to do that 
And so I, I, I will say this, though. When I had players that were struggling, whether it was shooting or mentally, just, just, just struggling altogether, I found times, even as a head coach, to just have them come early in the day, late at night, whatever, watch film, work them out. And, uh, and, and I had assistants do that at times, too. And, and typically they would. But I thought when they – and that's not going to happen in the NBA. You know, they're, they're not going to go out there and individually work because that is all set up in the system. But I know for me, when we didn't have those resources and my best player was struggling, I wanted to watch film with him. I wanted to work him out. I wanted to go have lunch with him. Let's, let's work through this and get through this. And, and those are things I did. But, man, today this is a different world. I mean, from the very, very young age, all of the ball handling things that – I mean, I, I couldn't work a kid out today because I can't do any of those things with the ball that uh, younger trainers and younger players do. And my grandkids, I mean, they're, they're showing me different things that the NBA guys are doing. They're, simply, they're watching it on TV. And, uh, and so that's just kind of where the world is today. It's all about personal trainers. It's all about the handles. It's all about the three-point shot. And young people, young men and young women – are being exposed to this much earlier in their life. So when they get to high school, there's an expectation for that. And when they get to, to college, the same thing. There's an expectation to that. And certainly in the NBA where they have all the resources, you're going to get outstanding people working with guys. So it does. You're going to get better. You're going to get better. And, uh, and, and the other thing is that these trainers, they're, they're very skilled in terms of, the psyche and, and the emotions and the motivational things that they do, I've watched them. I've watched it with the college kids here in town and high school kids, and I've seen it with my own grandkids. So uh, it's, it's a good thing for, for people, young men and young women who are picking the game up. There's a lot of resources. Um, you know, all of it's, like, way too expensive. But parents are spending a lot of money on young kids these days, hoping that, that they're going to be, you know, the next Steph Curry. Uh, but that's that's the climate and culture of the world of basketball right now in, in our country, for sure. So how much can a shooter who's pretty much not very good improve his touch or her touch through repetition? Uh, listen, I, it's kind of, you know, I, I would here's, – here's the deal. We'll take my golf game. <laughs> you know, I, uh, when I, when, before I had back issues and other things, I had pretty good flexibility. And, and so we'll take my golf game as an example. And, and, and I've kind of had to reconstruct my swing and I didn't think it was possible, you know? And so I finally found a guy here in town and we started working on my turn and the tempo and just breaking it down for a guy that's 69 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll never be able to hit a 250 or 260 yard drive again. And it was just incredible with video. All of a sudden he's showing me my swing. He's showing me, I don't want you to go to the range where you don't have someone taking a photo, a video of you watching you. And it's amazing. My, my handicap really hasn't changed, but all of a sudden I'm starting to hit drives longer than I have in the last five or 10 years because I'm doing things technically. And so I figure if a 69 year old, a guy can, and can, change and get better doing those kind of things because of repetitions. Uh, I, I think young players as well as older players, once you see yourself and you start working on the, the, the technique and create that muscle memory, you can do it. It doesn't happen in a week or a month, but you can become a good shooter. And I didn't believe that because sometimes you get guys, you go, you know, we're never going to be able to fix this thing. But over time, I, I do believe that anyone can learn to be a good shooter, but they got to put the time in. 
And, uh, and I'm not suggesting that they're NBA type, but for high school and junior high school kids and college kids, well, we watched a lot of people that early on struggled. I, I remember Travis Hansen early on. He was so athletic that he had so much spring that it, it flattened his shot. And he figured out how, how to extend and finish that thing up in the air where oftentimes you're shooting it on the way up rather than on the way down where it had a flat trajectory. And by the time you know, he finished playing, he was so comfortable. So, <clears throat> yeah, I do believe it can be done. But you got to put a lot of time in, <clears throat> and certainly those that are giving the instruction need to understand the mechanics of the shot. And uh, but for pros like you know like with, with Joe Ingles, he's got such a pretty stroke. And uh, but occasionally, you know, I watched Steph Curry play the other night. He couldn't make a basket after he had been knocking shots down and knocking down shots. You have those nights sometimes, and a lot of it has to do with maybe fatigue. Uh, it just just the grind of playing games all the time that you're going to not always be on. But, but you can become a good shooter. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying great, but you can become a good shooter today with, uh, with good coaching, good techniques, videos, all of those kinds of things that are being provided. So I, that was not the case 15, 20 years ago. Usually if you couldn't shoot it, people weren't paying much attention to you. We're recruiting guys that can shoot. I don't have time to help. That's not the philosophy at any level anymore. Everybody believes that they can. Though I will say this, probably more time is spent on the handles than it should be. I mean, that's what everybody wants to do, and sometimes they ignore the shooting piece. But for the kids that are really serious and the players that are serious, they want to be able to do both because that opens doors for them to play at the next level. Steph Curry, no matter what he does, even if he goes behind the back on consecutive dribbles, is never off balance. It is phenomenal. (laughs) That he is never he, off balance. He, he is phenomenal, and uh, just what a joy to watch. And yeah. we're, we're watching him with something that may never happen again. I don't know. Who knows? There probably will be something like him again. But I mean, what young person doesn't want to be Steph Curry? You know, right. I go and I'm I'm around a lot of eight, nine, ten, and eleven year olds because my grandkids saw. As I go and watch games, and then you watch them in a pregame, they they are simulating everything that's being done by Steph. I mean, they're, 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 they're at least they're trying. And uh, so he's impacting basketball globally uh, in ways that nobody ever ever has in a long time. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on. We'll talk to you again next week. guys. All right. Have a great week. All right. When we come back, everything you missed in this show in one segment. We'll get you up to speed next. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Kyrie feeds to Durant. Five to shoot. KD one-on-one with Paul. Right around him to the rim and a two-hand slam for Kevin Durant. Says to Chris Paul, you can't guard me. Jonathan Matthew now, left wing outside the arc, left the circle, Bertons. Bradley Beal out front for three. Oh, it's there! Pretty. It's there! Now Lou Williams gets it over to Bogey. He's wide open, three-pointer. Bang! Bogey banged Donovich. Wide open, and he knocks down the...
to three, and the Hawks lead by a dozen. Curry splits traffic, head fake, steps into a three. No, bounce pass to Draymond. Rotates out. JTA to Curry by the chase center. Sign! He rattled another one home. Talked a lot of NBA this morning. It was a crazy weekend with the Jazz losing, and the Suns couldn't take advantage of it because they lost to the Nets 128 to 119. Locke's theory that the Nets have a ton of offense and they should be the favorites. Well, Irving had 34 and Durant had 33, so it certainly worked Sunday. And then you heard Steph Curry's magic there. The Warriors aren't going to win it all, but man, is he fun to watch and impressive. 37 points. He had a great stretch shooting the three. He had one bad game, and he's right back to just being lights out from three again. So some of the uh, the big highlights, the big injury of the weekend, the Nuggets guard Will Barton out for the foreseeable future, a pretty significant hamstring strain, according to head coach Mike Malone. Denver cannot catch a break, PK. No, yeah, actually they're catching breaks in terms of bones and injuries. Uh, that's what you don't want to catch for sure. So I'm not going to eliminate them, but obviously the task is way tougher. As far as the other games this weekend, uh, the Suns, what the Suns and Jazz have done is given the Clippers a shot at the one seed. The Clippers are now tied with the Suns, two games behind the Jazz. The Lakers and Clippers may still end up on the same side of the bracket. Maybe the Clippers end up the one seed here. No. Not happening. They they're going to rest too many guys. They're not going to They're not going to yeah. repeat this 9-1. and one. They've gone 9-1 and one in their last 10 to move from five games back to two games back. But they don't have another 9-1 and one to get in front of the Jazz. Who, by the way, they don't have the tiebreaker advantage the Jazz do. they got to pass the Jazz. I don't think they want it. I don't think they care about it. Uh, if it's there, I don't think they'll run from it. But they have a pattern of resting players, obviously. And so I, I think they got to like where they're at, man. Because it, it, in a way, it's, it's sort of weird, but not a lot of people are talking about them. Last year, it seems like everybody was talking about right. them, me included. Yeah. And I was right there. Uh, I was in that uh, group discussing them to win it all. And this year it seems like they're taking a little step back in terms of the discussion. And it's probably a good spot. Uh, Paul George just been really, really playing well. Probably maybe because I'm following him more than ever. Not following him as much when he's with Indiana. Uh, but thinking that this kid is playing the best he's ever played. And boy, they, they, they look like they're they're very, very dangerous. So, I mean, they could get, if they wanted the one seed, I don't say that they could definitely get it because uh, if the other teams keep winning, there's nothing you can do at this point. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the Suns are right back at it tonight against the Knicks, aren't they? And the Knicks they have been playing they great are. ball. Julius Randle has just been playing outstanding. There's no doubt about that. So that's probably a tough loss. So it's two, maybe, yeah, the Jazz could actually find themselves three games up on the Nets tonight. And then the Clippers can be in second place by the end of the evening. You know, if the Clippers do pull it together and win it all this year, they would not be the first team that made major moves and had them pay off with a title in the second year. That's how it worked for LeBron going back to Cleveland. That's how it worked for LeBron and Dwayne Wade in Miami. It was the second year they broke through and won the title there. I think Duncan won the title in his second year in San Antonio um, with Robinson and that group. So when they got their, their, their first championship. So there are plenty of examples, you know, and if, if Paul George is going to continue this into the playoffs, then they got a shot. Certainly, certainly the other two teams people are talking about 
all have injury issues, and if they get healthy, they look really good, but uh, there's no guarantee they're going to be healthy. So maybe we should be talking more about the Clippers. Oh, I think there's uh, pretty much guarantees the teams that don't have devastating injuries now will be healthy then because that's what they're working for. So if they're not going to be healthy then when they've been working towards health this whole season, that's sort of somewhat surprising. So I'm expecting those teams will be at full strength until I see otherwise. Now, obviously, the Nuggets are not that team because they've had they've had two, one major injury and one pretty major. We'll have to see to the level of it, of its majorness, I guess, so to speak. But I'm expecting these teams to go. And that's why I always thought that, you know, the Nets, oh, people say, well, they don't have enough time on the floor. Okay, this year maybe, but so what? <laughs> if they don't, they don't. What about next year? Because if they win the title next year, I mean, that's just as good as winning it this year if you don't get it done this year. So I always looked at these things that I don't expect necessarily these teams to come together in their complete finality because I would assume all these guys, the same guys that were there this year, the nucleus with the stars, would be back next year. So if they win it next year, I'm sure they'll all take it. So that's something to watch for, even if they don't have the ability to get there this year. I don't know. Maybe they do have the ability. I'm not saying they don't. But if they don't, there's next year, too, for for these guys, too. Uh, we also talked about uh, a little baseball this morning, the Dodgers and Padres. You were nominating them to play literally every single weekend because their games are so entertaining. That would be new. You get 81 games against the Dodgers and 81 games against the rest of the league, or 81 against the Padres and 81 against the rest of the league. Ready, go. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they've had a fantastic seven games. I watched uh, all three games this past weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday wasn't on television for me to be able to watch it. I monitored it. But I couldn't watch it, and I did watch it. Uh, I watched the whole game last night. I mean, geez, started at what five o'clock? Mm-hmm. Didn't get over till close, uh, after ten, actually. And uh, I actually did watch literally the whole game. I went back and forth. I watched a little bit of the uh, Kings and Warriors, just because, in a sense, Steph Curry's more fun to watch now than ever. Yeah, uh, because he didn't have the talent around him, so he's got to shoot. There's no doubt he's got to shoot. And Steph Curry shooting, it's like, I don't want to miss that. The way I don't want to miss a Fernando Tatis at bat, I don't know what this kid's going to do, but it's going to be exciting. Even his strikeouts are going to be entertaining. I mean, he just has that ability to just be so super awesome with the home runs and all that stuff. He's not exactly Ozzie Smith at shortstop. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you I'll give Leading you that. the major leagues in errors. <laughs> I'm 22, so there's no reason why he can't improve. Uh by just taking a million ground balls and all that stuff. And then just try to make the simple play. Don't try to make the spectacular play. He's got a ways to go defensively, there's no question. And and at 22, he's going he's gonna to go offensively. But he hits the home run off of Bauer and does the closed-eye deal. And then he always does some kind of scop, hop, skip, and a jump when he touches third base on his home runs. As I put on Twitter, he reminds me uh, in baseball what Deion Sanders was to football. Just don't get busted looking back at the catcher for positioning or uh, the pitch. Okay, well, that second home run by Bauer, that became a big deal. And Dave Roberts, who's not caught up in that stuff, said uh, uh, if he does that, that's an absolute no-no, and we're probably going to have to take care of that. Because the Bauer second home run did look like it was a slider way down low, 
out of the strike zone, and he golfs it, and he golfs it over the center field fence a little towards right center. So was he looking back? And obviously everything's on film, so you can see that. And a hiss of all the things you're not supposed to do, looking back at the catcher signals is one of them. You can have the guy on second base hold up a placard and tell you what's coming, and somehow that's more acceptable. Oh, yeah, than that's totally the, more acceptable. The, the batter uh, peeking back at the signals. Yeah. Because at second base, you're supposed to be. I mean, you're going to be watching the batted ball. You're going to. It's just going to be right in your field of view. You're going to see it. It's supposed to sneaking around. I know, but you batter. can you can forward it if you should pick it up. And third base coach, first base coach, uh, whomever. As long as you're not using trash cans and whatnot. Yeah. So, but looking back, boy, that's that's an absolute no-no. So, Tatis is going to get drilled a few times in his big league career, and we've got the next 12 to 15 years to look forward to that. When we come back, your feedback, a lot of you weighing in on how the Jazz could possibly have lost that game Saturday. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Portland State has hired a guy by the name of Jace Coburn to be the new head basketball coach. He had some interesting things to say about his own personal work ethic. I don't eat breakfast in the morning so I can come to work hungry. I know my 2003 Chevy Tahoe's got a lot of play this week so far, but, like, it doesn't have AC and it doesn't have heat. And the reason I do that is so I can practice my mental toughness during the winter when it's cold and I can practice my mental toughness during the summer when it's hot. I never eat breakfast because I want to stay hungry. And then I eat lunch and then I'm not hungry. Sometimes when I feel I have to use the restroom, I don't because I like to feel like I have to use the restroom. But then when I do use the restroom, I use it. What guy? Because mental toughness. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Just clicking around, PK, I just saw a story here during the break. Missouri wrestling is returning to the Big 12. They left the Big 12 for the SEC. The SEC doesn't wrestle. There were hard feelings. The Big 12 wouldn't let them stay. So they went to the MAC. Now they're coming back. You know, there's rumors out there that somebody who left the Big 12 wants to return. And, of course, that hasn't been done and will be quite the story if it's actually done. Um, and I don't think it would be Nebraska or A&M. Uh, but Missouri, Arkansas, Colorado, Arkansas. Arkansas, you could throw Arkansas being a Southwest Conference team, kind of going back to the Big 12, but not really. If one of those three did, maybe, you know, if one goes back, then that opens the door for uh, a BYU thing, and a, a BYU move to the Big 12. <laughs> yeah! Oh, that'd be awesome. Is it Missouri? Well, what would they do they, if, uh, okay, if, what would it do with Colorado then? Because then you got to you got a uh, yeah. Then the Pac-12 needs a team if it if it is Colorado. I don't think it is. Oh. I don't know. On, honestly, if I had to bet, I would bet it's somebody might be unhappy, but it's just talk, and zero of them go back. I think that's the most likely scenario. But if one did and one was unhappy and the money was good enough, you know, it's hard to believe somebody's going to leave SEC to where money you once belong. Yeah. Three of them, three of the five left for SEC money, and Nebraska led for the left for the Big Ten, uh, Colorado for the Pac-12. So, 
Are you going to leave SEC money? Can you not win in the SEC? You know, all questions. We're closing in on it. It's 2021 now, so three to four years here of TV negotiations and conference movement if it's going to happen. But the next round of TV contracts, all 24 and 25, so we're, we're closing in on it. Well, that would be sweet for BYU, obviously. Yeah. Feedback for uh, today. Are you fans going to root for Urban Meyer in the NFL? And Chris says, I'll tune in to see if Urban's face turns Utah red with all the losing he'll be doing that he's not used to. I can't remember if he had any good sideline antics. You know, headset throwing, clipboard smashing. I'll be watching for that. And that's not think, a cougar. He's got a he's got a Utah football uh, logo as his avatar there. So he's, I think he, Urban's issues are internal rather than external. It might help if he were to be able to let stuff out. I don't know. I'm not. I have no idea. But it seems like he internalized a lot of stuff, which led to some health issues. Maybe possibly. I, I mean, I'm not a doctor here, but I can't remember. I mean, he, all all coaches have some form of expression out on the sidelines, one one way or another. I once had a coach tell me that his mother told him, would you knock off all the swearing? Because <laughs> the camera's on you a lot. So who has the least expression? I would go with Andy Reid. Uh, Pretty Bronco. stoic. I don't remember seeing a lot. Bronco, Bronco. didn't show a lot either. Yeah, Bronco. He showed the, that emotion when they had that great goal line stand against Boise. Oh, that was awesome. Thought yeah. the most driven guy out of him too. And that yeah. was the best goal line stand in the history of it's goal line stands. He had impressive. one of those. He had a similar celebration of Virginia that went viral. That's why I saw it. Well, oh. He had one when they when they beat Tech, I think, for the first time. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was a Virginia Tech game. Yeah, and, and certainly he did when the Beck to Harleen. Yep. as you'd have to be a dead person. <laughs> zero pulse, zero blood uh, yeah, pressure. Yeah, I mean that was just what a game, what a freaking game that was. That thing will live on for a thousand years, and so obviously on that play he went nuts. And I, I don't remember, but he probably would have had something on the Mangum to Matthews one too. He did. How, how he was not? he was running on the field, like hands up, like headset flowing behind him, type of a yeah. deal. I mean, how could you not when you, if your team wins on a hail mary? Uh, obviously, on that situation there. So uh, yeah, I, and I and I uh, Lavelle was obviously known for that, and I, I think it's important to have a steady sense. Herb Edwards doesn't do a whole lot. Uh huh. Either. No, I, I'm with you on, on the study thing. A long time ago, uh, Al Luganville pacing the San Diego State headlines, and they made a joke out of it with, like, how many steps did he take up and down the sideline during a game? But I always thought that it was like he was so nervous, there's this nervous energy, and that that just goes to the team. Uh, so a, yeah, a little a little study, and you can have some fire and come off and greet team guys after big plays. I mean, you're not teaching a, a you know a, an English class up there. So you can be a little fired up, but not too high, not too well, low. If you're going to say it, you need to behave it. I think that that was important for Sean Miller. I think he squeezed yes, so much. Yes, good example. And the sweating and all yep. that stuff. And then like it just, you, your players are looking at you. <laughs> and they're getting stressed just looking at you. Yeah, I, I tell this story. I, uh, I was a bowler uh, on an intramural team when I went to Northern Arizona. And I hardly showed up in the regular season. But in the play, they had, literally had playoffs, right? The intramural bowling team. And it was a three-man team, and you had to have the three guys, and you had to be in the dorm and all that stuff. And so I had to go, and I had to get seven pins to win the whole thing. 
and I stand up there and I look behind and, and the guys, they were, they were on their hands and knees. I mean, they were just, I looked at the, both of those guys, dude, you're making me nervous here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the seven pins? Yeah. Nice. yeah. I mean, I had two. You had uh, two balls to get seven pins. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't that hard. I mean, I could have granny styled it right down the middle. <laughs> I was going to say, throw it right down the middle. I think you'll win it on. Yeah. And I could just remember, I could still remember it. We're going back a long time. And I remember getting the ball, getting in my stance, turning around, and these guys literally were on their knees. It's intramural yeah. bowling, guys. Calm down. <laughs> please, 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 please. Yes, we're just killing time having fun out here. Yeah, it's not a big you're, deal. You're making me nervous here. <laughs> so I think there is something going on there. I think Todd Graham did it, too. How many, and Rich Rod? Rich Rod was oh, Volcano boy. City on I the sidelines. I really enjoyed watching him. He was so entertaining. Yes. I mean, relax a little bit here, man. You've got to present some type of image to your players that's important. I mean, we all want to win. They all want to win badly. I get it. But still, man, Rich Rod, if you want explosion, Rich Rod was your guy. We're out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. See you Monday.